0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, we'll be reading verses 10 through verse 17. We have reached a transition point in Luke as Jesus focuses his attention more upon his disciples and training them for the tasks at hand. We saw last week how he sent them out with power and authority to spread the message of the kingdom. And now we read him teaching them another lesson today, as well as to all the crowds, as well as to all the people who come before him. Before we read from Luke 9, let's ask for God's blessing. Lord, we come before you needing to be fed, needing nourishment that extends beyond even loaves of of actual bread, what we might go to later today for a Sunday dinner, these things may nourish our physical form, and even this miracle that you perform shows you give us, you provide us these things, and we see even a deeper truth in the feeding of, of your people, and that is we need you, we need the bread of life, we need the provision that comes in Christ himself, and we need to grasp the truth we see displayed here, Jesus is our provider. Lord, help us to see this, to be comforted by this great truth, that the one who has called us, the one who walks beside us, is the one who provides for us. And through him we can do abundantly. We can do what we have not the power in ourselves. We ask that we'd see that here this morning in your great name. Amen. Luke 9, verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them, and spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. Ascends the reading of God's word. Lord, Jesus provides. Jesus provides. I wonder if we were to poll the church, the congregation, and ask that question, do you believe that Jesus provides, what the results would show? Would it be a a resounding, yes, yes, I believe that Jesus provides? Would that be the results of such a poll in our hearts? Do we believe that Jesus does provide? Do we even believe he provides in, in all and every situation? I'm guessing that we would have a large majority who would say yes. And yet I'm also guessing we would all know our hearts enough to, if we were responding to such a poll on a piece of paper, hesitate a bit to say yes. Because we know our doubts, we know the questions that we might have, and though I think we would respond and circle, yes, I trust, we would sense and know that there is doubt within us, there's room for improvement, there's room to grow, and we certainly see that in the disciples themselves in our text. And we see that in our own hearts. You see, the truth of this passage, and there, there are multiple depths and, and, and ways to apply it, but, but a central truth of the passage is that Jesus provides. It's, it's pretty simple. It's, it's something we already know, right? We didn't walk in here questioning that. We knew that to be true, and yet the lesson needs to be even more refined in our hearts, even more displayed further illustrated and to dig into what that truth means yes jesus provides but how and in what way and and how should we grow and and jesus doesn't just provide bread he provides instruction he provides healing he provides himself and we see that all displayed here today. We'll look at this in three points. We'll look first at kingdom preaching. That point shouldn't surprise us. We've had many such points in sermons on the Gospel of Luke about the kingdom. And we see that again here, what Jesus does. So the first point will be kingdom preaching. The second point will be Jesus the instructor. Jesus the instructor. And the third point, Jesus the provider. When we'll look at the miracle itself. First, kingdom preaching. We can look at the context here. You read the disciples returned from their mission. This is following the, the flow of the narrative the disciples had went out. They went out into all the regions and villages. They went out to proclaim the kingdom. We talked about that last time. Their message was a message of the kingdom. Their activity was a demonstration of its power. And now you hear they come back. They come back to Jesus. They're gathered together. This this point isn't as clear in Luke. It's clearer in Mark that what then Jesus does is he withdraws. He takes the disciples away to a different location, more of a desolate place. And the intent is to have something like a ministry retreat, a ministry rest, a debrief, time to for them to come back after their arduous journey and labors to report to Jesus what had happened to take rest. And so they come back to Jesus from this kingdom mission. And that context is important. That's what they went out to do. That was the provision of power that God gave to them. Kingdom work and focus. And they come to their king to report. And what happens? They are sitting next to palm trees by a pool, enjoying a beautiful rest. That's that's not what happens. Kingdom work tracks Jesus down, tracks the disciples down. The crowds hear of it, and they gather, they they pursue, they come after. And how does Jesus welcome them? You see here, just as an aside, just the compassion of Jesus that's always displayed. Just the heart of our Savior, who who if it was us who would be peopled out at this point, would likely say, oh, would you just leave us alone, just give us time, we need our rest. And, And that's not what Jesus does. Jesus seeks rest plenty. He, he, he goes and prays and he, he does that. He, he isn't a workaholic. That's not how we would say this. But you see, his heart, and his heart is one that the crowds come, and even though this would spoil such a time of, of rest, he welcomes them, and Mark even says he welcomes them with compassion. He looks upon them and has compassion. These crowds who are, who are coming mostly to probably see a novelty, to, to come and see every, the one everyone's talking about, Sightseers And Jesus welcomes them, but how? He welcomes them with a kingdom message, as well as a kingdom display, just as his disciples had done as he had sent them out. He comes and he preaches, he teaches them about the kingdom, and he heals all those who had need of it. A kingdom message, a kingdom demonstration. This is what he does. We talk about the kingdom all the time, and we better make sure we understand it. Certainly the crowds in those days would not have fully grasped everything, but they would likely have understood some of the context of what the kingdom of God meant. They they would have a skewed view of it, a, a much worldly grand view of it, and what the kingdom of God would be and what it would accomplish. Now, it was skewed, it was misdirected, misunderstood. It wasn't fully wrong in what, though, they were expecting. It just wasn't yet. But the depth of what the kingdom of God is, we need to grasp. This is what Jesus does. He greets and welcomes them and proclaims the kingdom. The kingdom of God is long in the making. The kingdom of God is the, the most broad, the widest way we can describe what God is doing in what he's made. We can say that he even created the world, that he would have created there a kingdom And that kingdom that he created was to be governed, first of all, by the fact that God is the center of that kingdom. And so we could say, in principle form, the kingdom of God is theocentric, or God-centered. It's centered on him, and in one broad category, the kingdom of God has always, always existed, will always exist, as God who's reigning from his throne. And that's the truth of the matter. And yet, the kingdom of God becomes, even in creation itself, centered rather tangibly on this earth. Adam was created to be the the man who would declare to all the world the image of God, the glory of God. Adam was created with a commission and a mandate, authority over it all. He was the first king. The first man-king, the first vice-regent of God himself, God the overlord, but his created human, his created man to reign in this created kingdom. There was the plan. And yet what happened, there was the fall. Man fell, Adam fell, and the kingdom in that sense would have seemed to have come crashing down, and we can say in one sense, it did. And the rest of the Old Testament is this Is this attempt to, to, to gain it back. Now, I say that a bit carefully because we don't want to give the impression like God's plans failed, that God was unaware of what would happen. This was his, his plan to bring about his kingdom. But in that way, through man's failure, through the destruction of the kingdom of God in that way, through what God is doing through the Old Testament, he's illustrating the need for the kingdom to come again. And so he gives all these little precursors to it. This, this little, little point here, and this man here, and this office here, to illustrate that the kingdom is to come again. We see this in the covenant that is made. We see this, that God chooses a seed, the seed of the woman, That immediately begins to fight against the alternative kingdom, the the seed of the devil. And now there's a war of kingdoms, kingdoms clashing. And this has characterized the world ever since. We see the the kingdom motif, that kingdom theme, strongest in what the Lord does through Israel. He, He takes a nation out of bondage. Of bondage and illustrating that of their sin and, and brings them to a promised land. And, and what happens? They they set up a king. And and Saul, he gets it wrong, but David, now, what about him? What a glimmer of hope. Has the kingdom of God come on earth and, and we say, Yes, it's it's here, there's a sliver of it, but it's only a sliver. And ultimately David would, would fail, and all his sons would fail. And yet, nevertheless, God links himself to David's line. And and the kingdom of God is not only theocentric, it becomes Christocentric or messianic. It becomes centered on the Messiah. For it's revealed in God's word that this kingdom will come through the Messiah. This kingdom will come through the Christ, the Messiah. That's what it means. He would come to reign, a descendant of David, an eternal throne, to bring about the rule of God over all things tangibly to earth itself. The kingdom would reign to become centered on Christ. But it's also something else. Some of us have probably heard this term that the kingdom is eschatological. What do we mean by that? Eschatological. We've we've come across this, this term's used roundly, and and what does that mean? Well, eschatos means last. You may have heard of the term eschatology, it's the study of the end times. Well, when we apply it to the kingdom, we mean that the kingdom has come with an end times focus, or perhaps better put, a fulfillment, a goal, a result. It's bringing about that end times rule and reign of God. And so, when Jesus comes to proclaim the kingdom, you start seeing all these threads come together. This is how broad the message of the kingdom is. You see, Jesus was not just simply having one sermon with one point, have faith in me. That that wasn't what he proclaimed. He proclaimed a message of the kingdom, which that message is certainly central to. But it was the message of of recreation, a message as we see displayed in the miracles of resurrection, of life, of righteousness, of the putting to end of sin, of the putting to end of temptation, of destruction of the seed of the devil, a destruction of the devil himself. This is to proclaim the kingdom of God. That's how wide it means. The Gospels represent the inbreaking in of the kingdom of God in Christ as the beginning of of the history of the end the beginning of the history of the end the end is being brought out the kingdom of god has come the king has come and he proclaims that's mission and that's the kingdom preaching so how would this play out to all the crowds we we don't necessarily know but we have recorded some of jesus sermons like the sermon on the mount and what he taught blessed are the poor blessed are the meek Blessed are those who, who trust. Blessed are the peacemakers. All these things have, have kingdom meaning, kingdom portrayals. We see him demonstrate that power in healing. We see him talk about how he's the way to this kingdom message. These are all aspects of what the kingdom of God means and is proclaimed. That's the first point then, this kingdom, this kingdom preaching, this kingdom knowledge. So the crowds come and he greets them demonstrates the kingdom by healing them, instructs them on the kingdom. And now we see our second point, Jesus the instructor. And what I mean by this point is, is not the kingdom instruction, but, but an instruction to the disciples and the crowds in, in a bit of a different way. Yes, it's still kingdom preaching, but he's, he's really focusing this miracle to instruct the crowds and especially the disciples The disciples who have this burden, see what happens. The day wears away. It's getting late. And the disciples, like good true men, I'd be a part of this, are worried about dinner. When's the next meal? That's never far from my mind and my household. Lauren's not the same way. She's not always thinking, well, when's the next meal? But if we're thinking, oh, we could go somewhere, I'm always like, well, what about lunch? And, and what about dinner? That, that's what I think. Maybe you relate to that. And, and the disciples are doing that here. What about dinner? And now they think, well, there's not enough for everyone here. The day's wearing on. We're in a desolate place. We've got a problem. Jesus, send them away. Let, let them disperse. This is, this is, that's a reasonable request, right? Seems to make a whole lot of sense. Jesus, see, you notice in the text, responds to their, to us, reasonable request with a completely unreasonable response, at least to us. You see, the disciples were afraid of what might happen with the food and the availability or lack thereof and the fact that they couldn't apply it. And so they they tell the Lord, send them away. Well, you see what Jesus does. He takes what was their fear and lays it in their laps. Look at it. Jesus responds to them, you give them something to eat. You see the instruction here, you give them something to eat. Why do I say that's instruction? Because Jesus didn't need to do this. He could have just responded, I got it, I'll, I'll feed them. He didn't need to put it back on them to put the dilemma there, so clearly this is is mentioned, he says this, so that they would learn and be instructed. But this is a huge dilemma. They have the equivalent, and other Gospels show it wasn't even their lunch, but they have the equivalent of a sack lunch, like you would take to work a few loaves, a couple fish, Maybe you, could, maybe you could squeeze that into enough pieces, rip that into enough pieces, and maybe feed a small family. But there's 5,000 men here. And that likely means there's far more than just 5,000 men. It seems like they're numbering only the men, and that there were others present, women and children, and, and all of these need to be fed. This is an astronomical number, and can you imagine that? God, God, Jesus is telling you, feed them. So they go to the response, well, how much food do we got? Or how much money do we need? Other Gospels even give an amount. They say X amount of money wouldn't even feed them, and they don't have it. You see, Jesus' question, Jesus turning it on them, has brought them into a place where they have no ability to fulfill this but- remember the context, what have they just come back from doing? They have just come back from spreading a kingdom message and spreading kingdom miracles through the power of God given to them that came through their own hands. That's what happened. That's what they were supposed to spend time debriefing on, and here's the situation. So Jesus, having already equipped them with power before, tells them this, but it's a power they know that they don't have. You see, you would think, and I don't uh, hold this against them, knowing our own weakness, knowing we would have responded the same way, but but they try to, to solve it with earthly remedies, but that's not the answer And you would think that by this point, their response could be, or even should be, Lord, command what you will, but give the power for what you command. You want us to feed them. We trust you. What would you have us do? Is that the answer that Jesus is looking for? I I think it is. But I think he's instructing them as well that the provision for all that they need, even for for kingdom work, even for this task before them, resides in himself. Jesus is the one to provide, but he's instructing them now. You see, the, the irony, even the humor of this text, is Jesus gives them an unreasonable request, an impossible demand, and they do it. The disciples do give 5,000 men something to eat. It's fulfilled. You see then the instruction there. Look what is accomplished through them by the power of Jesus. Where does the power originate? Where does the provision originate? It's clearly Christ, and no one would deny that. But what an instruction for these, these messengers of the kingdom, those who were to go out and spread it. Look what is accomplished through what Jesus can do and what he uses even them to do. You know, we can be encouraged as the church for the same reason. Have, have we been given an, an unreasonable commission? Go out into the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Go make disciples, and you're equipped and armed with a book. Have at it. Is that unreasonable? Well, in a a worldly sense, in our power, yes. That's impossible. And yet, that has never stopped Jesus from providing before won't stop him now. He's the one to provide. That's what we see. Jesus the the provider. That's our third point. He is the one to provide, but that means so much more than than a pithy little saying. Jesus provides. God will provide. It's true. But sometimes it's so simple, sometimes we're so aware of it that we, we don't grasp it. And I know we all have in our hearts that doubting question, can he provide? The disciples are a portrayal of that throughout all of these, these miracles. They instruct us. You see, they're, they're continuing to have to learn who Jesus is. That's why just as we have repeatedly in this series talked about the kingdom, we've also talked about the identity of Christ. And they need to see where and who they turn to and who he is and what he's able to do. He's he's done many things. He's never done this before. That's not to say that he hasn't done as great or greater miracles, but he has not, in the Gospel of Luke, had and displayed this creative power, the power of God to create out of nothing. That's what this miracle is. I heard one pastor say it, well, at every mealtime, his kids attempt to perform this miracle. They attempt to multiply the food. Let's break it up. Let's, let's take as many pieces as we can into as many small pieces, but what you won't end up with is more of it. You'll just end up with a mess. Right? We can, we can take as, much, as many loaves of bread as we want and as much fish and, and try to tear off pieces. We will not multiply them. They had enough to fill a small lunch bag. And it ends with 12 baskets full of surplus. It's pretty simple. There's more here at the end than what was there in the beginning. Jesus created out of nothing. There was not the substance there, and he continued to add it. He continued to multiply it the power of God to create. And so, you know, though the disciples are being taught here, though they need to be instructed, we can have sympathy if we put ourselves in that same situation. Would you have expected that from Jesus at this point? Would you have expected him to provide in that way, to create food for these people? Jesus is showing through them, that's what you can expect. I provide. It's interesting to hear how many... Theories there are for those who deny the supernatural. This is how they have to jump through hoops to try to explain miracles. They're quite laughable, honestly. Some of the theories say that the miracle here was that Jesus was able to convince the crowds to share food. They had all brought some food for themselves, some hadn't brought enough, some hadn't brought any, and the miracle was to convince so vast a sum, so many thousands, to share with their neighbor. There's the miracle. That's not what the text describes, quite clearly. That's not the dilemma, but that's, that's the way some try to explain it. Some try to say that this, this meal was ceremonial. It's a ceremonial meal. They didn't need to fill their whole stomachs. That wasn't the intent. Jesus is, is, is proclaiming a truth. And and a spiritual reality is that they they all received a little sum, a little portion, a little wafer, and were able to say they've been filled, but they don't mean physically. They more mean they've been satisfied spiritually. That, again, doesn't make sense of the text and the, the surplus in the baskets and what Jesus is doing. Some like to say this story never happened. It's just allegorical. It's just symbolic. And this is my favorite. Some just say Jesus hypnotized the crowd into believing that they were filled. The question I want to ask is, so if you hypnotize 10,000 people, how is that less of a miracle to to convince 10,000 people who you didn't feed? Yeah, you're full. That's amazing. You're you're, you're trying to explain a miracle with a miracle. The fact is, 5,000 plus witness this miracle. You know why that's significant too? Luke is writing in a day where there would have been Part of that number still alive. 5,000 plus to have witnessed this. Who could have denied it? These miracles weren't done hidden in the back room and in a closet. Why do you think 5,000 plus have even gathered in the first place? Because he was the real deal. This wasn't a convincing one. This this wasn't some kind of lie. This wasn't Benny Hinn and healings like that. This, This happened, and everyone knew it. It stayed. Those who needed healing came and were healed. Those who had demons had them brought away, and the food that was multiplied was real food. Jesus provides. Jesus provides all that we need. Is there an allusion even here to how faithful, how compassionate Jesus' provision is? I wouldn't die on this hill, but I think the fact that there's a provision of 12 baskets that are overflowing shows the, the capacity, the heart of the Lord to provide. It certainly shows how capable he is to provide all their needs. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an overflowing. It's, it's not like you might get when you, you go and, and there's not enough food there and your mom's nudging you saying, don't take all that pizza, there's not enough, right? No, they, they were satisfied. They had their fill. They were full. Provision of the Lord is, is as such to do that. Could this be allusion as well to Moses and manna? In a desolate place, in a wilderness, and a crowd needing to be fed. People of God needing provision, and Jesus is the one to provide it. He provides bread. This is an Old Testament parallel. There are, I should say, Old Testament parallels to this. And so what this miracle is showing as well is that Jesus is the, the consummate, the full, the fulfillment prophet. In 2 Kings 4, 42 and following, you see something Elisha does. It's a very clear connection to what Jesus does here. A man came from Baal-shalisha, bringing the man of God, bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, Give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. Elisha does this, this pre-miracle, in a smaller way, but you see the, the connections there. There's the bread that's brought, this barley bread. That's likely the same type of bread that Jesus performed in this miracle. Or rather, rather it wasn't some rich fare, rather plain fare, a barley loaf. And this is what Elisha did, and he did it for a hundred men. But you notice he had more to begin with and less to feed but he did it, and he, he, uh, uh, he made it to the power of the Lord. He attributed it to the power of the Lord. Give to them what they would eat. The Lord has said that they will eat and have some left. And his servant didn't believe it. His servant questioned it, just like the disciples do. How can I feed so many with so little? But it happened. You would remember as well in 1 Kings 17, Elijah, through the power of God, multiplies the widow's flour and oil so that it lasts She was at her end. There was as much for one meal, and she was going to make it and die, and Elijah comes, and it it continues. It's multiplied, and it's provided until the drought ends. God provides. But you you see what's happening here is Jesus is that fulfillment. He's the fulfillment of all things that the prophets were. He's even bettering all things the prophets did, right? We can't miss... the the stepping up of that. We went from 100 to 5,000 men. We we went from 20 loaves to less than that. We, We have less to begin with and look what Jesus did. And he doesn't do it through an appeal. He doesn't do it through a prayer. He just does it. Jesus' power to provide. The meeting of the needs and filling of the provisions of God's people is often a promise in the Old Testament. There are so many Verses I could go to. I'm just going to go to Psalm eighty-one, verses fifteen and sixteen. It says, Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. Um do, does honey come from rock? I've never seen that happen. Honey doesn't come from rock. Rock doesn't produce food. The Lord is able to produce food from something that is inedible. He's able to provide. And you see in these promises like that psalm, the Lord will feed his people. The Lord will provide them what they need. And and this is where we, we see even a deeper truth, though. It, it it extends beyond what we need physically. That's present here. It's, it's so so present. It's clear. That Jesus is equipped and will provide what we need physically, but this is all in a kingdom context, this is all in regards to what he's doing and why he's come, this is part of his mission, and so we're to take that truth and apply it to every aspect of life. Jesus is the provider, and he's able to accomplish much even through men who don't have the power in and of themselves, and that's It's very encouraging to us because that is us. Power of the church, as I talked about, we're we're kingdom soldiers going out with a book, and yet no one can stand against it because it's the power of God that goes with. It isn't our own. We would be left as, as flummoxed as the disciples were if we had to do it by ourselves and in our own strength and in our own might can't feed this many, we can't provide that. And so you're constantly brought to that lesson, but Jesus does and Jesus can. Constantly brought to more reasons to trust, to know that he will provide, to know that he cares. The truth that God provides comes with a danger. The danger. Is that we take that truth God will provide, and now what we want to do is use God for our ends, to use God for our purposes. That's what the other Gospels say happened after this. The crowds were in a frenzy, and they followed him, and, and what they were after was more food. What they were after was more provision of that sort. And it makes sense. Life in that day and age was lived for food. Daily bread was the, the, the life for most. They didn't have pantries and, and fridges. They, they, they were trying to, to make enough, to eke out enough, to just provide for their needs. And there wasn't ways of just preserving food indefinitely. There wasn't surpluses like this. And one man fed the equivalent of a Roman army. And he did it after teaching them about the kingdom all day. And so, do do you see how they wouldn't make that connection? He's preaching about the kingdom. He's instructing about the kingdom. Look what he just did. Let's make him king. Right response, wrong reason. Right response, wanting wrong result. He can provide. Let's use him. He can fill our bellies. Let's make that happen. That isn't the way the kingdom will spread. This was a miracle. This was not an event that happens all the time, clearly. It's not the way God will operate with his people, but it's the same truth he would have us believe. We take the lesson and know God is able to provide. He's able to provide food out of nothing or out of, out of what shouldn't be able to feed this many. He is able to provide. We take that truth and we live according to it. We even bring requests to the Lord for what is needed. Did he not teach us to pray for daily bread and promise that he would provide it? You see, the difference is in one way we're trusting in the provision he gives And we're trusting in it to nourish us for the task he's called us to. And the other way is we want a meal. We want a free meal. And we want a filled belly. And isn't that a dilemma that should confront all of us? Jesus has illustrated he has complete control over death, over disease, over sickness, over lack of food. In the the Gospel of John, he creates the best wine that they had at the party. He heals all the maladies that people have. He can give us everything we'd ever want. And so we could take that truth and respond one of two ways. Yes, Lord, give us it. Let's use you for that purpose. Or we can say he is our king and we trust not only in his provision but his wisdom to know how much to give and when. To know that he will provide us Rather than seek him to give us more, the lesson of the 5,000 is to trust him to provide every need while seeking the kingdom. should cause us to trust in him and his provision for what he's called us to do. But he doesn't call us and lead us into a position without providing for us our needs, and that's the real deep truth there. He doesn't bring us into positions and abandon us. He provides and sometimes it's in rather miraculous ways like the feeding of the five thousand rather unlooked for ways, but I would submit to you, you seem you, you take and receive the exact same power that multiplied these loaves every time you open your pantry, every time you open your fridge door. It was the same sovereign power that multiplied bread that put your bread there in the first place. It was the same power of the Lord that gave a bountiful harvest, that gave the earth what it needed, and the rains to nourish and fed. Our daily bread comes to us from God's hand and doesn't come to us from the store. It's the same power, and we experience it every day, it's just seen in a different way. We need to trust that the Lord will provide in all of these situations, and especially as we seek his kingdom. That's the truth. John Calvin says, Up to this point, Christ was interested in feeding souls, but now he includes within his duties as a shepherd the care of their bodies. And in this way, he confirms his own saying that to those who seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all other things will be added. We have no right to expect that Christ will always follow this method of supplying the hungry and thirsty with food, but it is certain that he will never permit his own people to lack what they need for life and service. God provides. He provides us with every one of our needs. We want to learn this lesson and be instructed like the disciples were. Jesus is, as said in other places, the bread of life. It's meant to direct our gaze beyond that provision to the true provision that is Christ Himself. You see why it's better to have Christ than it is to have the bread and everything else. Here's the King of the Kingdom that we talked about and how broad and majestic it is. He's right there. He will provide. He will be with us. Let us trust that. And even more so, let us praise him and thank him. Our God is compassionate and faithful. This is how much he cares. To illustrate time and time again that he will meet our needs and he will be there for us. Let us then trust in him. Amen. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord Jesus we are in awe and happy and excited to read of your great deeds to go back in time and to see what you have accomplished but we pray that we would not put your great accomplishments only in the past as if to see what you're doing we have to look back and deny that you're doing it for us right now help us to learn the lesson that you are instructing that you are the one to provide and through your power, you're able to accomplish what we cannot, that you offer yourself as our provision, and you even give to us the physical needs that we have to to go about the mission work and the work of the kingdom. We hail you as king, but we pray it would not be so that we could use you, but rather to be used by you, trusting in your provision to do what you've called, and in this we know we will see marvelous things. In this way of faith and trust, you will accomplish your kingdom work. And it is through the vehicle of the kingdom nowadays, your church, as headed by Christ himself, that the kingdom comes. The full fulfillment and glory that creation was always intended for through your great and glorious plan is being achieved even now. Your kingdom spreads and will spread until there is nothing that is outside of you, until all functions as it does in heaven. We pray this in your great name.